This is a Federal News Network podcast. Hunger among members of the U.S. military and their families might not be a widely known problem, but now some in Congress are taking notice. A bipartisan bill is in the hopper to give struggling military families a basic allowance for everyday needs. Recently, Mazon, an organization dedicated to fighting hunger, came out with a report detailing military food insecurity. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni spoke with Mazon CEO and President Abby Liebman. This is one of those challenges in America that are more or less hidden from public view. And um, I don't think that hunger has actually been a particularly visible central issue for most of the American population until the pandemic, which really thrust it into the American consciousness in a way that we hadn't seen for generations. And some of that has to do with the fact that many people struggle in silence around this, that people who are on the edge that experience food insecurity don't wear a sign that says I'm food insecure because many of the people who are are actually employed and functioning well in our society. It's just that they struggle to find enough food to feed themselves and their families at every meal. And military hunger in particular has not been a part of the public discourse around hunger. And I I think we can talk about a lot of the reasons why that would be so. Um, But part of it is that it is very difficult to find data around hunger in the military. The DOD says that it cannot find this data. There's a presumption on the part of other researchers and other government entities that they won't. It's not that they can't. They just won't explore this. So it seems like the mantle of finding out the information about this has fallen in part on organizations like yours to really get this kind of statistics that are out there. And you admit fully in your report is that you don't really know the the extent of this problem yet, but (laughs) you know that it exists, right? Correct. There's enough anecdotal information to suggest that there's something going on here. And then there are these circumstantial pieces of evidence, if you will, that show us that there is a statistically significant number of families that are struggling here. So between surveys done by Blue Star Families and information that the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, was able to unearth and the information that we have about where and why there are food pantries around these military bases suggest to us that there is a challenge here that the military needs to step up and address. When we talk about hunger, do you mind maybe defining that term a little bit? Does it mean that people aren't getting <laughs> the proper nutrition? Does it mean that children are you know, getting free services from schools? Or does it mean that people just are, are really not having the meals that they need? So I think it's all of that, actually, Scott. It's, the idea here is that people are food insecure. This is the term that we've used for generations now to describe what it means when you cannot afford an adequate nutritious diet. And I know that Secretary Vilsack has begun to talk about nutrition insecurity because there's an enormous amount of um, information that tells us that getting enough calories to survive isn't the same as getting nutritious calories, right? That you are actually getting the the kind of nutrients that you need to live a full and productive creative life. But hunger um, is a much more evocative term, I think, for most people. Um, It 
we understand what that means. Generally speaking, the easiest way to grasp the definition of food insecurity is to understand that it means that you do not know where your next meal will come from. You may have had lunch that day, but you don't know if you're going to have enough wherewithal to be able to have dinner. It is the circumstance in which parents are skipping meals in order to feed their children. And this is, as I said, not just a problem of poverty as we define it officially in this country, because there are many working people, working families that are struggling with exactly these challenges. And we could see that in such dark terms with those images that were coming out of the early months of the pandemic, where we could see cars lined up at food banks waiting for food distribution, something food banks don't ordinarily do even. Um, so that it's, it is a wonky set of terms, but it is essentially to find a common ground for talking about the difference between, oh, it's late and I haven't had lunch yet, and it is early and I don't know if I'm going to be able to make enough money to have lunch. Now, you've come out with this report recently. What it really describes is a a counterintuitive way that that BAH and other benefits are maybe hurting uh, military families when it comes to hunger. So you've made a few recommendations. You've you've done a little bit of analysis. Do you mind going over that a, a bit for us? There's some issues about military families and uh, military personnel that have resulted in, I think, unintended consequences um, that put them in a unique position among those who are struggling. So um, many military members cannot live on base. There's either not enough housing there or um, if there's a waiting list, et cetera. So they live in the community and they get a basic allowance for housing. For purposes of determining your income level for eligibility for SNAP, for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, food stamps, uh, USDA counts this allowance, this housing allowance, toward your income, despite the fact that the IRS does not treat it as income, other federal subsidy programs do not treat it as income. So we see this as a glitch, but what it does is it puts members that that statement of their income puts them over so they cannot qualify for SNAP, despite the fact that that money is actually all going for housing costs and is not or cannot be spent on food. So there's qualifying for that program. And then in our minds, there are ways in which the military, the Department of Defense, could respond in a unique way because Congress has not acted to fix this glitch, nor so far has USDA done so through executive action. Is this a salary issue? Is it a locality issue? It is a salary issue. We're talking about enlisted personnel at the lower ranks who do not look like what the fantasy is, but they look like the military is far more diverse in terms of race and gender than it ever was, that these are people who you returned to work through the military. That is, they had other jobs they lost. And after the Great Recession in 2008, there was a surge in numbers of people who were working in the military. And we see that there's a diversity in those enlisted personnel, including diversities of families, that the salary schedules of the military had never anticipated. And 
most of the lower ranks are making $24,000, a year for a family of four. That is a definition of poverty in this country. Abby Liebman, president and CEO of hunger response organization Mazon, speaking with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. And this note, Senators Mark Warner and Tammy Duckworth recently asked the Defense Department to investigate how a basic allowance for housing might affect military families' ability to receive food benefits. Check out Scott's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So, what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over two million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. 
you know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've uh, led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.